Chapter One of Anglo-American Memories by George Washburn Smalley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One: New England in 1850. Daniel Webster. My memories begin with that New England of fifty years ago and more, which has pretty well passed out of existence. I knew all or nearly all the men who made that generation famous everett charles sumner the whitest soul i ever knew said emerson wendell phillips garrison andrew the greatest of the great war governors emerson wendell holmes theodore parker lowell and many more and of all i shall presently have something to say earlier than any of them comes the rev dr emmons a forgotten name for a long time pastor of the little church in the little town of franklin where i was born in norfolk county in that state of massachusetts on which daniel webster pronounced the only possible eulogy i shall enter on no encomium upon massachusetts she needs none there she is behold her and judge for yourselves there is her history the world knows it by heart whether the world knows it by heart may be a question we are perhaps a little too apt to assume that things american loom as large to other eyes as to our own but whether the world knows massachusetts by heart or not we know it and the rest does not much matter every son of hers will add for himself god bless her dr emmons was of the austere school of calvinists descending more directly from the still more austere school of jonathan edwards i cannot have been more than three or four years old when i last saw him but i see him still tall slight bent wasted long gray locks floating loosely about his head his face the face of an aesthetic yet kindly and i still feel the gentle touch of the old man's hand as it rested on my baby head and i see the imprint of his venerable feet which it was his habit to rest on the painted wainscoting of his small scantily furnished study my father was first his colleague then his successor then was called as the phrase is to the second congregational church in worcester whence he passed many years later to the first presbyterian church in troy new york where he died worcester was at that time eighteen forty to eighteen sixty a charming example of the thriving new england village which had grown to be a town with pleasant quiet streets even main street its chief thoroughfare was quiet and pleasant houses of colonial and later styles standing in pleasant grounds a beautiful simplicity of life prevailed and a high standard without pretence not without dignity the town had given and was to give not a few governors to the commonwealth governor lincoln governor davis honest john another lieutenant governor davis and two governor washburns to the first of whom we lived next door in pearl street in the shadow of the episcopal church of which the rev dr huntington translated afterwards to grace church in new york and widely known was rector later i read law for a year in the office of governor washburn's partner afterward that senator hoare who in learning and capacity stood second to few in washington and in character to none twenty years ago my mind filled with these images of almost rural charm i went back on a visit to worcester 
it had grown to be a city of near one hundred thousand people and unrecognizable the charm had vanished the roar of traffic was to be heard everywhere surface cars raced through the streets blazing gilt signs with strange and often foreign names emblazoned on them in gigantic letters plastering and half hiding the fronts of the buildings mostly new it might have been a section of new york at any rate it was given over to the fierce competition of business of the tranquillity which once brooded over the town no trace was left i suppose it all means prosperity in which i rejoice but it was not my worster if it be still as we used affectionately to call it the heart of the commonwealth then i suppose the commonwealth also has changed for better or for worse according to your point of view boston certainly has changed and as certainly for the worse where is the old boston we all loved what has become of those historic streets which the great men of more than one great generation trod where is the dignity the quaint old-fashioned beauty the stamp of distinction the leisureliness of life the atmosphere which winthrop and endicott john hancock and otis everett and andrew once breathed the only boston they knew is to-day a city of tumult and uproar amid which the state house and the common and the old south church and state street itself seem anachronisms and untimely survivals of other and holier days in the old worcester and for aught i know in the new far up on elm street as it climbs the hill and pushes toward the open country stood governor lincoln's house square white well back from the street a fence enclosing the broad lawn steps and an arched iron gateway in the centre to me ever memorable because there i first saw daniel webster he had come to worcester campaigning for taylor whose nomination for the presidency over his own head he had at first declared unfit to be made he arrived in the dusk of evening and drove in governor lincoln's open landau to the house a multitude waiting to greet him filled the street webster descended from the carriage went up the three steps from the sidewalk to the gateway turned and faced the cheering crowd the rays from the lighted lantern in the centre of the arch fell full on his face i do not remember whether i thought then but i have often thought since of what emerson said if webster were revealed to me on a dark night by a flash of lightning i should be at a loss to know whether an angel or a demon stood before me that night at any rate there was a touch of the demon his advocacy of the successful soldier was an act of renunciation the leadership of the whig party belonged to him and not to zachary taylor and if not to webster it belonged to henry clay he had not forgiven his successful soldier rival he never forgave him nor could he all at once put to sleep for another four years his honourable ambition his eyes blazed with a fire not all celestial the grave aspect of the man and grave courtesy of his greeting to the people before him only half hid the resentment which fed their inward fire but he stood a pillar of state deep on his front engraven deliberation sat and public care a colossal figure we boys in massachusetts were all brought up to worship webster and worship him we did 
till the fall came and the seventh of march speech turned reverence into righteous wrath there was a certain likeness in feature between mr webster and mr gladstone the eyes in both were dark deep-set and wide apart beneath heavily overhanging brows in both the flame was volcanic the features in both were chiselled strongly the lines clear-cut the contour of the face and the air of command much the same in the great american and the great englishman but mr gladstone had before the political disasters of his later years had angered him a benignity which webster lacked in stature in massiveness of frame in presence in that power which springs from repose and from the forces of reserve there was no comparison webster had all this and gladstone had none i have before me as i write a private photograph of mr gladstone from the camera of a lady who had something more than technical skill and who had a sympathetic insight into character and an art sense among the hundreds of photographs of the tory liberal the protectionist free trader the imperialist home ruler this is the finest and truest i have seen but it is one which brings out his unlikeness to webster far more clearly than those resemblances i have noted if those resemblances have not before been remarked there are i imagine few men living who have seen both men in the full splendour of their heroic mould the records of those later days are full not only of admiring friendship for webster but also of that bitterness which his apostasy for so we thought it begot even friends turned against him after his support of the fugitive slave law as for his enemies there was no limit to their language a single unpublished incident will show what the feeling was at a meeting of the abolitionists in the boston melodeon charles lennox raymond a negro in the course of a diatribe against the white race called washington a scoundrel wendell phillips who was on the platform intervened no charles don't say that don't call washington a scoundrel the great virginian held slaves but he was a great virginian still and a great american it is not a fit word to use it is not descriptive besides if you call washington a scoundrel how are you going to describe webster besides again the fugitive slave law wrought the redemption of massachusetts and we owe that redemption to webster indirectly it was the rendition of anthony burns in eighteen fifty four two years after webster's death which completed the conversion of the bay state from the pro-slavery to the anti-slavery faith but what i can tell of the unwritten history of those black days must be for another time whatever webster's faults and whatever resentment he aroused in eighteen fifty he remained and will long remain the foremost citizen of massachusetts in that generation go to his opponents if you want testimony for that ask wendell phillips and he answered in one of his finest sentences pouring scorn on the men who took up so late as eighteen sixty one webster's mission to crush anti-slavery agitation it was webster who announced from the steps of the revere house that he would put down this agitation the great statesman discredited and defeated sleeps at marshfield by the solemn waves of the atlantic contempsi cataline gladios non tuos pertamescam 
the half-omnipotence of webster we defied who heeds this peddler's empty speech ask theodore parker who delivered in the music hall of boston a discourse on webster's death half invective more than half panegyric whether he would or no it was i think parker who said of him that four american masterpieces and four different kinds were webster's the ablest argument ever heard in the supreme court of the united states that in the dartmouth college case was his his was the noblest platform speech of his time at the dedication of bunker hill monument his the most persuasive address to an american jury in the white murder case at salem with its tremendous epigram there is no refuge from confession but suicide and suicide is confession his finally the profoundest exposition of constitutional law the reply to hayne in the united states senate all these were webster's and to webster alone could any such tribute be paid when i heard webster in fanway hall where he was perhaps at his best and most at home it seemed to me it mattered little what he said the authority of the man was what told before he had uttered a word he had possession of the minds of the three thousand people who stood for we were all standing waiting for the words we knew would be words of wisdom twice i have seen a similar effect by very different artists once by rachel at the boston theatre as camille in corneille's Horace when the mere apparition of that white-robed figure and the first rays from those deep burning eyes laid a spell on the audience not once but many times by amy de clay at the prince's theatre in london and at the gymnasia in paris of her i shall have something to say by and by but i name her now because she had that rarest of gifts the power of gathering an audience into her two small hands while still silent and motionless and thereafter never letting them go in her it was perhaps a magnetic force of emotion for she was the greatest of emotional actresses in webster it was the domination of an irresistible personality with an unmatched intellectual supremacy and the prestige of an unequalled career whatever it was we all bowed to it we were there to take orders from him to think his thoughts to do as he would have us he might have talked nonsense we should not have thought it was nonsense he might have reversed his policy we should have held him consistent we should have followed him believing the road was the same we had always travelled together he was still the man whom massachusetts delighted to honour the forces of the whole state were at his disposal as they had been for thirty years he stood upon the platform an august a majestic figure from which the blue coat and buff trousers and the glitter of gilt buttons did not detract once and only once have i found myself under the sway of an individuality more masterful than webster's much later in life so that the test was more decisive but it was not mr gladstone's End of chapter one